since the beginning of time. So therefore, Jesus, man, great moral teacher, great guy, just not God. I want to dilute the faith. Sometimes I've met with people, even, even here in our world, that say, man, I, I, I believe the Bible. I believe that the Bible is this great moral teaching. I believe, in fact, I believe it's the right way to live. I just don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The root of their deception isn't denial, but dilution. It, it, they want to they decrease the concentration of what the message of the Bible is. And then their second, maybe the second great deception of these false teachers is that belief and behavior are completely disconnected. I know you're going to be surprised to hear that this is not a new idea. Uh, there was this whole way of thinking, almost, almost a, a, a cultish religious idea called Gnosticism that existed in this day, and, and it's built around this idea of knowledge, and, and it's this idea that if you could just believe the right thing, then what you do doesn't matter. Have you seen this happen in, in American Christianity at all? If I could just believe the right thing, then I can live however I like. And this idea is that, that they assumed that God's grace gave them the liberty to do whatever they wanted. And I think this is, I mean, maybe the big issue of the North American church, if not the church at all, is that what I believe and what I do, they don't have to be connected. And Peter is going to challenge this deception in, in, in powerful ways. Peter's going to respond by establishing two things. He's going to establish, he wants to establish the certainty of Jesus Christ and the centrality of Jesus Christ and his return. If you look at the very end of chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter says, look, I'm going to tell you from my own experience. Let's, let's talk about this idea that Jesus is just a good guy. I want to challenge that. And Peter's going to say, uh, he said, we weren't making up clever stories when you t we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own what? I mean, Peter's speaking from experience, and this is one of those weird things that he includes this but leaves that out. He's not, in this instance, if you read on, he's not talking about, well, I was there and I saw the resurrected Christ stand before me. What he is saying, what he is referencing is the transfiguration of Jesus. I don't know if you remember, you can check it out in Matthew. But Jesus goes on to this place, and all of a sudden, he's him, but he's no longer him. He becomes something else. They see through the veil of Jesus' humanity, and they see that he isn't just a good guy. They see that he is God. And in those same moments, the voice from heaven, the same voice that appeared when Jesus was baptized, breaks through the clouds and says, This is my son, and him I'm well pleased. And so Peter, in verse 18 He's going to say, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, Jesus isn't good. 
Jesus is God. The centrality of the Christian faith is not that Jesus is some good moral teacher, but that he is God. And he goes on in verse 19 through 21, he's going to go on and challenge even deeper the certainty of Christ and, and especially the certainty of Christ's return. In verse 19, here's what he says. He says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. The prophets themselves are not important. What's important is that the prophets gave a message delivered from God to the people. And he says, you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. And then one of the most beautiful lines in all of Scripture, he says, until the dawn, the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. He says, not only is Jesus God, this same Jesus God is coming again. And all scripture and all prophecy have pointed to it. So let's talk about this day. Sometimes it's called the last hour. Sometimes you call it judgment day. It's not the Arnold Schwarzenegger one. Um, You ever wonder how this thing ends? Peter wants to bring up just for a moment, as in, in a deeply theological way, that, that this world, this existence, this space, that, that everything you see, everything you touch and feel, all of this right here has an expiration date on it. Do you guys have that sense? And he wants to remind them that there is a day coming where the one who began everything will also finish what he started. And so he says, let's begin at the end. And he spends a lot of time talking about this future moment. And so I just want to spend a few minutes to talk about, okay, what, what is that day? When I say the day, I mean the day. What is that? What, what do we know about that day? What can we know about that day? And so I just want to give you the facts. Here's what we know about that day. Um, simply, it's coming. Do you believe that? There is a day when God will bring all things to completion. It is is coming. And then the logical question, and one of the challenges from those inside false teachers in chapter 3, verse 4, is this. Remember what they said. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From the, before the times of our ancestors, he hadn't come yet, right? Do you see, do you see their challenge? Like, if he was going to come wouldn't he have come already? If this day is such a big day, then, then why hasn't it come yet? Have any of you ever had that question? And I love, I, I love Peter's response. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 9. This, this is a great response. 
He said the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. He hasn't forgot. He hasn't, you know, it's not on a shelf somewhere. He's not being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being, what's that word? Patient. For your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to. It's interesting. He didn't say he wants everyone to believe in Jesus. What's he say? Because remember, repentance and belief aren't necessarily the same. He goes on to say this in uh, verse 15 of that same chapter. He said, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul, our brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. All right, so here's what we know about the day. The, the day is coming, and if anything, God is holding this day back for you and for your neighbors and for your coworkers. If anything, God is holding this day back because he is patient and he, he wants as many to be saved as possible. So the day is coming. God's holding it back for more people to save. The other part about the day, another thing that, that we, we don't know, we don't know we know, is that nobody knows when the day will come. And I know that's hard for us. We would prefer to know, right? We could put it in our, our schedule, our calendar. But, but we don't get to know. Jesus actually spends a lot of time, uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks a whole lot about the day. He said, the day, in Matthew, Matthew's words are, the kingdom of heaven will be like, he compares it to bridesmaids waiting for the groom. They're waiting all night. They've got their lamps, and some are prepared with extra oil for the wait. They're ready to endure, and some are not. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, here's what it says. In relation to the day, he says, so you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Go on to the few verses down to verse 44. Jesus says, you also must be ready all the time. How much should you be ready? All the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. So we know it's coming. If anything, God is holding this day back to save more people but it's going to come, and when it comes, it will be when least expected. And finally, the last thing, and really the bulk of Peter's teaching, which we're going to dive into more next week in, in uh, week two of Second Peter, is, okay, now that you know this day is coming, it's going to come unexpectedly. He says, I want you to live in anticipation, or a, another word, another church word you might be familiar with is Advent. Of this day. He said, I want this future moment to shape how you live right now. Jesus in Matthew 25, he, he tells stories about uh, servants who have been given this, these bags of silver or talents. 
while the master's away, and then unexpectedly the master returns, and the master wants to see what have you done with what you have been given, right? In verse 29 of Matthew 25, it says, use well what you have been given. And it goes through these servants. You guys remember this story. Some have taken this opportunity, this thing they have been given between that moment and the moment of return, and they've used it to advance the cause of the master. And some did what? And he says, what, and, and Peter says the same thing. Between the day and this moment, this is not a season for you to be inactive. But this is a season for you to be at work. It is a season of activity for the cause and purpose of the master. He goes on in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this. He says, one day there will be this great separation of sheep and goats. The sheep will be on the right and the goats on their left. And people say, well, how will I know? How will I be on the right? And Jesus tells this great story about whenever you fed or clothed or gave water to the thirsty, then you did it for the least of me. The, the whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And what he says, between that moment and this moment, you are not free to serve only yourselves. Did you hear that? In light of this coming moment, you do not have the freedom to serve only yourself, but we must be serving the least of these. And when we do, we serve him. And if you can somehow live with this knowledge, live in this experience that this day actually is a real day, it is coming, it is going to happen, Jesus is going to complete what he started. And in this moment, in that, and that can shape your moment to live for him completely, then that moment will not be a day for you to fear, but it will become a day for you to look forward to. Are you with me? Peter puts it this way in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, right? He says, I want you to be thinking about that day because thinking about that day is going to help you live out this day. So what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God ushering it along. How often are you thinking about the day? I mean, I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about my schedule. Um, I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, what, what do I need to do? I'm thinking about lunch already today. You know, like, <laughs> I just lost half of you easily. I mean, I, I'm filling my mind with all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of distractions, all kinds of things. But, but how much time am I really spending thinking about the second coming of Jesus? So let's do that just for a moment. Can, can you do it? All right, so just for a minute, let's all together, I want you to think, uh, let, let's, just, let's just think about the second coming together. And, and all together, all of us imagine just, just right now that Jesus is going to return tomorrow. Okay? 
All right, so just, just chew on that, okay? Somehow we got inside knowledge. Jesus is coming tomorrow. All right, so how does that help you look at your retirement plan? You see how it, it changes things, doesn't it? Like, how would that, uh, how, how would that affect your, your thinking? Man, I was going to take tomorrow off. If Jesus is coming tomorrow, and, and let's be incredibly honest about what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that tomorrow is as good a day as any. And you have no reason to think that it couldn't be tomorrow. It says unexpected. In fact, the, the, the fact that you don't expect, you and I don't expect it to be tomorrow means that tomorrow's a great opportunity or possibility. Right? But if you, if you could somehow grasp that this thing that God started, he's going to bring to completion. How, like, like if you just had a, a little bit of a preview. How would that affect your relationships with others today? Would you pack up and leave this place immediately and get on the phone and try to heal those broken relationships you have with others? The people you hurt this week, would you call them and ask for forgiveness? What would your lunch conversation with your kids be about today? Would it be different? <laughs> How would you look at all that you had saved up and all that you had built up? What, what would any of it mean? Would any of it matter? Would you feel incredibly generous all of a sudden? Would you have a crystal clear sense of what's really important? Sometimes I spend, uh, I spend time with people in the last moments of their life, and you know what always happens? They are incredible. They have, they have crystal clear thoughts about what was really, really important. In those last moments, like if, if today was your last day, would you spend it trying to bring as many people with you as possible? I think this is this living in that that space of that knowledge of of this day is coming is is how you you combat those false teachers how you combat the dilution of, of your faith it, it's how you 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 move beyond believing behavior and belief are disconnected you would start to live into this thing in a different way and this is exactly what peter is getting at look what he says in uh, chapter 1 verse 12 I think, I've, I think I've maybe I've even put three verses up there. There they are. This is what Peter says right at the beginning. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about what? These things. He says, I know you already know them. 
but maybe you need to be reminded. And it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember even after I'm gone. And here's why two, two verses I, I, I put together in chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 8. He says, because there will be those among you that deliberately forget. And let's be honest, we're really good at forgetting. Our world is filled with every kind of distraction, every kind of promise of longevity and long life and a full, right? Like our world is filled with this and we just soak it up, man. We love it. And Peter says, man, be, be really cautious because they deliberately forget. But you, you must not forget. You must not forget the centrality of Jesus. Jesus isn't good, Jesus is God. And the certainty of his return. You know what a great way to remember the centrality of Jesus and the certainty of his return? You know what a great way to do that is? The Eucharist, communion. We're about to share in it together. On the tables around this room, you'll find the elements of Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. You will find the elements of his promise. And as you take these elements, remember his promise to come again. As you take these elements, commune with each other, and maybe live a little bit more today in the knowledge of his return. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this word. Thank you for the way you use Peter to speak to us. Guard us and protect us from, uh, from false ideas, from false teachers. And Father God, I, I think there's a part of, of all of us, of, of, of there have been moments where we've taken your faith and it seemed too big. And so we, we took a, an easier version of what you said. But Father God, we, we aren't given permission to do that as your servants. So help us to live up to the whole faith and, and, not, and not dilute it. And Father God, where there are areas of our life where our, our behavior is not matching our belief, then I, I pray that you would convict us and put brothers and sisters in our life who, through the power of your word and, and speaking love into our lives, can bring us back into complete alignment with you. Father God, the day of your return doesn't have to be a day of doom or fear. Father God, it's a day to look forward to. And so God, how you can, where you can bring about that awareness, fill us with that, that season of Advent again. Draw us deeply into your presence. Engage our memories as we uh, have this communion feast together, remembering the sacrifice of your son Jesus for us. Father God, we love you. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, I invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.